0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Inside Tri Show with Sports Tours International. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you are training. Hello and welcome along to episode thirteen. Lucky for some of the Inside Try Show with me, Helen Murray, brought to you by Sports Tours International. And new sponsors Orion Connect. I will tell you more about those during the show. But first of all, how are you doing? If you're in the UK, have you been blown away? I reckon you are probably spending a little bit more time on the turbo, maybe in the gym as well. It's been pretty disgusting out there with some crazy winds as well. So I know I've spent, yeah, quite a lot of time inside over the last week or two. But um, thank you very much for joining me and it seems that we got the timing about right for last week's interview with Imogen Simmons because she went and won at 70.3 Dubai so that was good timing and Helen Jenkins who remember we spoke to a couple of weeks ago it was amazing to see her back and she said in the interview didn't she that she'd just be happy to finish well I reckon she did it in style she came in fourth But it's just such an inspirational story to see her back. So congratulations to both Imo and Helen. And this week, oh, I've got a really interesting interview for you with Ben Hoffman.
1: For example, if you want to be a fighter pilot in, you know, the U.S. Army or Air Force, you have to have certain vision requirements, right? And so if you just don't, if you don't have those, you can't be a pilot. That's just that simple. So In my opinion, if your body has some sort of illness, you know, that can't be overcome without some sort of heavy medication that might also have a a side benefit of being performance enhancing, then I think it's one of those things where maybe you just can't be a professional triathlete.
0: It's quite a long interview with Ben, but it's a good interview with Ben. We chat about Nike trainers, doping, Bahrain 13, and if you ever felt uneasy about being on the team... We also talk about the power of self-belief and um, he's got some pretty interesting thoughts about that and I think some useful tips as well that that you can take away. So there's plenty to look forward to in there, talking of which, things looking forward to. I'm going to be heading out to Challenge Roth as a race host with Sports Tour International in July and I'm so excited. It's a bit of an understatement. I'm really really looking forward to it i've never been but have you seen the stacked profiles it's insane and this year sports tours international are the official challenger Roth tour operator for europe including the uk so if you are going to be racing or you're going to be out there cheering someone on then do let me know you can connect with me at inside Tri show on social media and let me know if you're keen for a little bit of sunshine before then and come on, if you're in the UK, who isn't? Then don't forget the exclusive offer from Sports Tours International. They are offering a 10% discount to listeners on their Ironman Lanzarote package if you book by the 29th of February 2020. So as you're listening to this and um, maybe getting blown away or maybe not sweating away on the turbo then just head over once you're done to sportstourinternational.co.uk or sportstravelinternational.com if you're in Ireland use the code inside one and don't forget that terms and conditions do apply so check out the show notes at helenmurray.net forward slash inside try <laughs> A Bit of news from me then. So, first up, I want to say thank you to longtime supporter and Finland's finest Vesa Huskainen. I hope that's pronounced semi okay. He's signed up to be a coffee buddy, so a patron of the show. If you want to join him, then head to patreon.com forward slash inside trishow, Other than that, uh, Rich and I went to see Parasite on Saturday, so before it won all of those awards. It is a brilliant film, so I can see um, why it definitely won. Don't go if you need cheering up. That's all I'm going to say. Before the cinema, we did cross-country, and it was just dreadful. It was really... I felt like I was going backwards. Um, And it was my first cross-country of the 2019-2020 season, so I left it pretty late, but um, in true Helen style, I made some cake for it if you want to know what cake it was almond with a bit of fruit on top It was actually quite nice far better than the actual run itself so yeah super hilly super hard and I felt so so rubbish and I guess some days you do just feel like that but it had seemed like I felt like that I don't know for a few days last week and I'm thinking oh what's going on and you think yeah okay I've done a few big weeks but I just, I don't know, had nothing in my legs. And then, lo and behold, hello, being female, what appears, don't need to say anymore. there you go, it explains a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, anyway, got it done, consistency that counts, isn't it? And uh, And I've got a much more, and a very welcome, easier week this week, so that's pretty good. Before we head over to this week's interview, I said I wanted to introduce you to new sponsors, orion connect who are going to be sponsoring the show over the next few months and if you're struggling at all with pain or injury then you need to get in touch with orion connect so this all came about when one of their team vesta who's also a listener got in touch with me and she said helen i really like what you're doing and i think that orion connect can help your listeners as well so vesta is a keen triathlete herself She's actually training for Ironman Lanzarote at the moment. I say at the moment, I think she's on a training camp in Spain. All right for some. (laughs) But anyway, she knows what it's like to be injured. And she knows what it's like to go from one physio to another. Or when it takes ages to get a diagnosis from your physio. Then you've got to go back to your GP. And then you're referred for a scan. And the whole process can just take so long. So Orion Connect offers an alternative to that they help you find the right healthcare practitioner for you and quickly efficiently and affordably they will help you onto a diagnosis and treatment pathway and then they'll give you options of trusted practitioners in london who you could see so it could be a private gp physio or maybe a spine or a hip or a knee specialist so get sorted and get back to swim bike running as quickly as possible so all of the links to their website and a bit more about what they do are in the show notes at helenmurray.net forward slash inside trishow forward slash ben hoffman time for this week's interview so ben hoffman you'll have heard of him he's been on the podium at kona he's come fourth at kona He's won Ironman South Africa a number of times and 2019 was an incredible year. After being injured in 2018, he came back. He won at Ironman South Africa. He then came fourth just a month after becoming a dad for the first time at the Ironman World Championships in Kona. And then at Ironman Florida in November, he recorded the fastest Ironman marathon ever in two hours and 36 minutes and 9 seconds. He's an intelligent guy. He's got a whole load of stuff to say and I really enjoyed talking to him. So Ben, you're about to enter your uh, I don't even know what year anymore of uh, <laughs> in triathlon. Is it as fun as it was at the very beginning?
1: <laughs> Coming out of the gates with the the big questions. Um yeah, I mean, you know, it's just, it's different for sure. Um, the the funny thing about that question is, and I I tell this often when people ask me about sort of my origins in the sport. But I remember very concretely in two thousand and six in the fall before I decided to get my pro license, um, I I was spending some time caretaking a home in Montana where I'd gone to school. I had just graduated. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, and I was pretty keen to continue a triathlon but I wasn't sure exactly what that looked like and I finally made the decision to move back to Colorado to start training there full-time get my pro license and really pursue it and try to put the pieces into place that would enable me to be the best I could but at the very beginning I I said to myself I'll do this but I'm only going to do this as long as it's really fun for me. Um, and I've been pretty good about checking in with myself throughout my entire career and making sure that that is still a top priority. And I would say that the ways that it's fun have definitely changed over time. I mean, certainly some of the novelty is gone and some of the things that used to excite me maybe don't anymore, but there's always new challenges and new, um, dynamics that I encounter that I think make it really fun. So Yeah, I'm still super appreciative of the lifestyle, and uh, you know, I had an injury in 2018, and that was a really good reset for me. I think where it kind of, yeah, brought brought home the perspective a little bit more for me about how, um, you know, how really fortunate we are to be able to do this, and uh, how finite it really is. So, yeah, still having fun.
0: What I'm intrigued. What doesn't excite you as much? You said that some novelties have gone. What are some of those?
1: Well, I mean, I would say some of the stuff that maybe doesn't excite me as much anymore is some of the, the travel, actually. I mean, I I really do love going to new places and, and experiencing the cultures. Um, but I would say that when I was younger, maybe, you know, again, it was, it was just more of a novelty. And um, some of the other components that went along with it didn't seem like as big of a deal. And I was just kind of you know, ragtag, just whatever, doing it on the cheap. And, uh, you know, that component of it was really kind of fun staying with home, you know, homestays, meeting new people that way. And now it's, you know, I have a family, and it's just a little bit more planning. And um, I think I've, (laughs) I'm 36 years old now. And I just appreciate having my sort of home environment that keeps me really comfortable and dialed in when it comes to my training. Um, So yeah, I mean, as much as I do love the experience of going to these places and, and, and having these experiences of culture. I also probably really just kind of love being home now. Um, so that, that's definitely one of them. And, uh, you know, I would say something that didn't excite me as much maybe earlier on was sort of um, the pursuit of sponsorship. I mean, I always sort of enjoyed it, I guess, and having the relationship with the sponsors and the people that ran these companies that support me. But, Um, But now it's like really cool. I mean, I really look forward to having these conversations and brainstorming ideas about how we can activate and, you know, create content for, um, you know, the triathlon community and how we can grow, you know, their brand as well as my own in tandem. And um, I guess that's just sort of a a function of maybe maturing a little bit and and getting a little bit better at that business side of things.
0: And I guess as well, knowing that, you know, you're not going to be doing this in say five years time, you're probably not going to be a professional athlete.
1: that's probably true yeah i mean i i tend to shy away from putting a hard number on on how many years you know more i'll do this or whatever i mean i think you have an idea in your mind i think historically you see guys tend to sort of fizzle out a little bit maybe in their early 40s i mean there's a few exceptions to that um And a lot of it really just comes from a motivation standpoint I think you know I mean physically definitely you start to degrade a little bit but um, a lot of it is more of the mental side can you still get excited about getting out the door for the training um, and get excited about doing the little details taking care of yourself you know when you're off the bike and uh, yeah I would say you're probably right though I mean you know uh, that would be a great number at this point I mean that would take me into my I guess you know around 42 years old which. If I could continue to get support up to that point and really enjoy it, be passionate about it, um, I would love to do it for another, you know, five years. But yeah, it's uh, certainly knowing that, seeing that end more clearly than I ever have before. Um, the the main thing it does for me actually is just makes me more appreciative of all the components, and uh, and so that does keep it fun in its own way too.
0: You know when you're in your, let's say you're in your early 30s as a professional triathlete and you would see, I guess, some of your colleagues around you announcing their retirement, perhaps, you know, a couple of, maybe around the age that you are now or a couple of years after that. And when you're in your early 30s, do you think in your head, oh, that's what I'm going to do when I come to retire. I wouldn't do it like that or I'd do it differently. And then suddenly you're kind of there or thereabouts in that age bracket and you're thinking, no, I just want to carry on. I want to carry on and carry on.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I I do remember um, very concretely having moments where, I mean, it was was very real and very in front of me because, you know, I can provide two great examples. Um, You know, two of my uh, buddies that I trained a lot with, Richie Cunningham and then also Chris Lee. We were in Boulder, and we did a ton of training together, and I, I uh, would definitely um, attribute a lot of my success and development as an athlete to the time that I spent with those guys, and they were both approximately, or are approximately 10 years older than me. So, um, yeah, when I was, yeah, early 30s, they were kind of wrapping up their careers, and, you know, they both went about it a little bit differently, um, and I think I was able to see pieces and parts of both of their careers that um, you know are the ways that they did that I guess that I that I appreciated in other ways that again that I that I thought "Ah, I'll probably do that differently when you know my time comes but overall the one (laughs) message that I get from most people that reach that stage is that they, you know, they basically tell you do this as long as you possibly can, and whatever that means for you. I mean, that's of course you have to be passionate about it, or I think you should be. And I think that you know, at some point, especially with a family and a few other responsibilities, you should probably be able to justify it through earning a living. Um, but yeah, I think you know, the general message I get from these people that that achieve that stage in their career is to basically hold on as long as you can, because I think we don't always really understand just how great. Um, of a job it really is Um, that said it can be a grind and there's definitely a lot of components that make it feel like a job and I think there is a tendency from the outside for people who don't do it as a career to glorify it Um, but I'm pretty aware that it really is one of the best jobs out there so I'm probably going to hang on as long as I can.
0: Do you think that um, a lot of pro triathletes glorify it on Instagram as well?
1: (laughs) I think in general, we glorify everything on Instagram. <clears throat> I think uh, you know, Facebook to me is more like fake book. I mean, I don't really use it a lot myself, but yeah, I mean, Instagram for sure, I think we tend to paint a, a better picture of our lives than, than is realistic sometimes. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, look, I think there's some, you know, there's, there's good points to that too, right? I mean, if, if we're highlighting the things that are really positive about what we're doing, that's probably generally generally better than meditating on the negative. Um, I do think it would be nice if maybe we were a little bit more open in whatever way that meant about um, the parts of it that aren't so awesome all the time. Um, but that's difficult to do for, for anyone, I think. And um, yeah, and it's always that line, too, I think, about how much you decide to let people into your life, right? I mean, you know, that's one thing about social media where You have thousands and thousands of people that you're connecting with in some way, um, but the vast majority of them you really don't know personally. Um, So, again, you know, I I remember a professional triathlete that I won't mention by name, um, but his, his quote to me one time when we were on our bike ride was, you know, all these people think they know me, but they know what I want them to know was basically what he said, so um yeah it's it's a funny world, social media um I definitely enjoy it for the most part, but uh, there's parts of it of course that I wish were a little different
0: and right here, here's here's my question because a lot of um yeah I guess a lot of posts on Instagram are um you know everyone does like i don't know time trial Tuesday or whatever, do you all schedule them or genuinely when you've got your your feet up in your normal tech or, or whatever? Are you doing your Instagram posts, or are other people doing them for, for for other people?
1: I mean, it's honestly a bit of both, and I think it just depends on what who the athlete is and what their um, team around them is, and and who their sponsors are, et cetera. What the demands are. I mean, I, you know, there's certain things that are contractual obligations, and I think most people, you know, that follow me or any other top athletes probably realize that. Um, you know, we genuinely use these products, and they're people who support us, so that, that in its own way is is valuable, I think, and important to acknowledge, you know, that they're basically allowing us to keep pursuing the highest level of, of racing that we can um, by supporting us financially and otherwise. But, yeah, I mean, uh, I think it just depends on the person. I do a bit of both. My wife is involved as well every once in a while. She helps, you know, craft a post um, on, on whatever channels I have, you know, between Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, But I do it primarily. Um, I like to be involved in it. And, uh, you know, I generally generally find enjoyable, like I said. So, yeah. Um, And I try to keep it somewhat organic, right? I mean, your attitude and outlook can shift from day to day and you have different things that you encounter. And I think incorporating elements of that is important. I mean, if you just map out posts for every single day or every other day or whatever it is, it might not really align with you know, what's going on in your life. So I think it's good to find that balance of of getting out the stuff that you know you need to do, but also, you know, being authentic about it.
0: Totally. Ben, I've I've heard you say a few times, um, an attitude of gratitude. Can you just explain what it means to you?
1: Well, I mean, for me, I think that mostly came from a place of having the injury that I mentioned um, earlier, where in the end of 2018, in September, I suffered a sacral stress fracture, which is the same injury that that both uh, you know Jan and Lionel had, and you know apparently tends to be pretty common amongst uh, pro triathletes for a variety of reasons, which I don't have to launch into here. But I think what happened was that it came at a really important time for me, where maybe some of that passion for just the core reasons of why. I do this and and the focus had shifted a little bit for me and become a little bit more negative maybe or just on the wrong, what I would say, quote unquote, the wrong things. And yeah, it was a great hard reset for me because what it did was it kind of took this thing away from me. And look, I acknowledge responsibility. I mean, I didn't do the right things to take care of myself and keep myself healthy. So I'm not out there blaming anyone else. But that said, I felt quite blindsided by Um, This injury where one day I was feeling extremely healthy on track to do a great performance in Hawaii And then the next day I was like limping around the house and I was like, okay, something's really wrong Um, So anyway being kind of blindsided by that and then having that taken away from me Really drove it home for me just how much I really appreciate and want to be doing this I think entering into you know the 2019 season um i just looked at everything a little bit differently where i was like you know i could be like broken and injured and not able to get on my bike even though it's like freezing cold and snowing um and i don't really love every aspect of this right now i could it could also be like something that i couldn't do at all and i really want to do it and i want to see how good i can be and i also like we talked about the window for my performance you know at a peak performance is closing so i really want to maximize this and see what i can do so Yeah, and and this extended to this attitude of gratitude concept extended to virtually everything, um, you know, in my life. But, you know, the people that are involved in the industry, whether, you know, it's us right now doing a podcast or the sponsors that I have, just the people that come to these races and really support the industry. um, You know, I just felt like a deeper connection with this community than I ever have before. I think maybe I was taking them for granted a little bit before, and now I'm like just a lot more appreciative of the energy that people put into this sport um, and, you know, therefore indirectly or directly allowing me to do this um, and to live this lifestyle. So, yeah, it's uh, something I try to carry with me every day now, and I think I do a much better job than I've ever done. You know, there are days where it's still like a battle to get at that <laughs> appreciation, but overall um, I just find things go better when you focus on that anyway.
0: You're quite a, a firm believer in in self-belief as well, aren't you?
1: Absolutely. I think it's kind of the cornerstone of high-level performance, you know, and I think it's one of the biggest limitations for athletes that don't achieve um, their potential or, or top, top-level top results. I think, you know, it, and to me, I look at self-belief as a process, right? It's not something where you just wake up one day and you're like, okay, I believe in myself and, like, I can win Kona now. I mean, I think you have to take these steps along the way that are you know that your performance is a is a constant process of sort of upping that level of self-belief um you know i certainly didn't believe that i could win kona until i was you know second place there and that was even a big step forward from the 15th place that i did you know the year before and uh and now you know i've backed it up a few times i've been fourth a couple more times been up there shown myself that i still think i can perform on that world stage that way Um, but I will say too (laughs) that it's a delicate balance, right? I mean, you have a really bad season and there is a lot of questioning that goes on and, uh, you know, a lot of self-doubt too. I think it's just about having that mindset and that self-belief to overcome that, you know, to really push that down. And, uh, you know, that's, to me, that's critical for performance. I mean, it's probably the number one thing, more so than the training or anything else.
0: Really, that mental strength.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, if you i mean there's that famous quote right that, that's something i'll probably butcher it a little bit but um whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't you're right so yeah
0: that, yeah that's that is pretty true and ben when when you say 2018 when you had your injury and things like that and that self-belief would have diminished how do you turn that around um, I mean, I think
1: it's a variety of factors. You know, I've always gained a lot of confidence from my training, so um, definitely getting back on track that way. You know, finding uh, a physical therapist that I was working with, doing a lot of strength training, rebuilding that foundation, and putting that injury behind me was a big piece of it. Um, and then also just having my wife, who is an extremely important part of my team around, just reminding me that you know, I've had plenty of times in my career, I've had to grind and get through tough situations. And, you know, as long as I'm putting the work in every day and focusing on how I can be my best every day, you know, the results ultimately come. But yeah, I mean, it's not easy, right? Like, it's definitely uh, a focused effort. You know, you have to put a lot of energy into it to make it a reality. Um, you have to actually concentrate it on, on it a lot to to raise that level of self-belief. But um, Yeah. At the end of the day, too, like one thing that I really took away from that time, you know, I remember being super worried. Right. And I just came across this. Yeah. I can't. Well, just worried in the sense, like, am I ever going to be back? Like, is this something that's going to happen again? You know, are all my sponsors going to leave me? Whatever. You know, you just kind of create stories in your head sometimes. And um, I remember coming across a quote somewhere. I don't even know where it was. And it basically just said, worry is your mind's way of tricking you into believing you have control and i was just kind of like yeah that's like totally true i mean you know you <laughs> you put so much emphasis and energy on these things that are oftentimes outside of your control and ultimately too if you're spending all this time worrying you're basically preempting this potential outcome which is definitely not guaranteed this potential negative outcome you're preempting it with all this negative energy you're wasting all this time before that moment ever comes in anticipation of it being bad, and you know that's all just wasted time because it may go bad, and it may go really well. But why would you waste all that time in the lead up to it being really worried about it? That just doesn't make any sense. So, um, although I'm human and I definitely still worry, I try to keep that in mind when uh, you know I start to get overwhelmed by things that I think are essentially out of my out of my control.
0: Were you a a bit of a worrier? when you were at college or in your early 20s? I mean, I don't know
1: if I would call myself a a worrier. I think what I will say is that um, I've always been focused on performance whether that was in school or sport or whatever it was mm. and one one thing that I actually find I mean this this is you know I don't want to completely misportray this but I think fear of failure can actually be a really big motivator too right yeah um, we're worrying about failure because it, it actually can prompt you to do steps to um, ensure or try to ensure that you don't fail and so I would say that's always been kind of a cornerstone for me and it's not that I I try not to turn it into such a negative thing, but, you know, I want to win. I want to perform at a high level. And there is a, there is sort of a fear and a pressure of failure that um, that motivates me to get out the door too. So that is a component, no doubt.
0: This year, Ben, or maybe let's go the last sort of six months. must've been the most incredible icing on the cake so far to, (laughs) to Ben Hoffman's world.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's been a really special time. I mean, I remember coming in the door January 7th of last year. So, just around this time last year. And my wife, you know, was like, I've got some news. And I was like, I, my mind was not on this at all, but she was like, I'm pregnant. And I was like, what? Oh my gosh. You know, like, of course, it was something we wanted and we were trying, but um, it was such a surprise and, uh, and such an exciting and motivating thing for me. And it, it really lit a fire for me, in addition to just wanting to come back from my injury, improve myself, and, um, you know, get back to that top level. It really just kind of added a whole another layer to things, um, knowing that I was doing it not just for my wife and myself anymore, but also for this new child. And uh, she was welcomed into the world on you know September 9th, and it was a month before <laughs> Hawaii, so uh, probably not the best timing by you know by most uh, standards. But in the end, it was really cool. I mean, it, it definitely uh, inspired me a lot, and I you know it was it was a positive thing and then I carried that through into Florida as well so you know on the racing front everything went really well this year or this past year it was one of my best seasons ever um, and then of course you know having having a child is a whole another level that's just another level of joy that goes way above and beyond uh, any sort of career performance.
0: How did you and Kelsey your wife juggle that first month when you would have been really really focused on Kona and you've got a newborn in the house as well
1: well we it wasn't easy um and i and i can't take a whole lot of credit i mean what was cool was that we basically set it up so that i could continue to put most of my energy into the training that i need to do to be ready and we had a lot of support from our family so initially her mom came out and was here right around the birth and then my parents also came down um, and spent time with us so you know they took care of all the stuff i mean uh, whether it was cooking, cleaning, laundry, all of it, you know, they really took care of all of it. And uh, I was able to actually sleep in a separate area. Fortunately, at our house in Arizona, we have um, a guest quarter. So, yeah, I was able to kind of hunker yeah, down, sleep. get to sleep and uh, <laughs> and continue to train really hard. And, you know, and I felt I felt like, OK, I mean, on a whole nother level, people were. Yeah, I mean, there was just a different investment than there had ever been that way. Um, you know, I mean, people are always supporting me. My family comes out to Kona you know, I always feel that support from my wife, but I really wanted to deliver in a different way, you know, because I had just seen it so much every day for those uh, last four weeks leading up to the race where it was like, okay, these people have made tremendous sacrifice um, and gone through a lot while I continue to basically live uh, the same lifestyle. So I want to make it all count. And I was able to do, you know, a pretty a good performance by, by my standard. And, um, you know, it was it was definitely a special day out there. So
0: and then backing it up at Florida three weeks later yeah that was pretty insane
1: yeah it was I mean I it's not something I'd really done before and uh you know I was strangely motivated between the races I mean I I gave a lot in Kona I felt pretty empty after that race but then after a short period of recovery I felt like okay I mean I want to I want to try this I see the opportunity that's there I want to see if I can can do this and and qualify it early and you know, finish off the season with one more big performance. And, um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. I mean, I felt really motivated in the training between, and then on, on race day, I felt super calm and just kind of focused on like executing my best day. And, uh, the pieces came together, you know, I didn't feel amazing on the bike ride, but, um, I was a bit cold at the start. It was kind of a weird cold snap and I was wearing a jacket obviously, and just kind of like trying to struggle through the early phases of of the bike ride, and the benefit of the weather being a little bit cooler that day was that it stayed nice and cool for the run, and I was able to just sort of, like, go as hard as I possibly could, um, you know, and and peg it on the marathon and uh, without too much risk of blowing up. So, yeah, it came together. You know, it was a really great way to end the year, qualify early, um, clear the schedule, and really allow us for the maybe, you know, the first time since 2015 to, like, really... Um, kind of work backwards from Kona and make that the top priority for the season
0: does that mean you're going to be at Roth
1: (laughs) you know we're still finalizing the schedule so um, I won't say yes and I won't say no but uh, you know it's it's something I've always dreamed of doing, and I think it would be a, a great race to do. Um, this may be the year, or you know, it might not be. The difficulty with Roth is really only the timing. Where I mean, it's worked great for certain people, um, but typically I like to do sort of two bigger builds in my year. You know, usually that means like an earlier season Ironman, and then obviously Kona later in the year, um, with a little bit of a rest in between. And I think with Roth, it's not that it's a it's not impossible to do that. Plenty of people have done it. Um, but it is a little bit later than what I normally do. So, yeah, time will tell. We should be releasing our race schedule relatively soon, so um, keep people in suspense a little bit longer.
0: Will you be competing in the Collins Cup, Ben? Uh, Yes, that's
1: absolutely part of my plan right now, and, I mean, that's partially up to me and partially up to, you know, team captains. Um, Right now I'm in a position, I think, in the rankings where I should be part of the American team, um, unless you know people below me race exceptionally well over the spring and and move way, way up. but um, between my performances from last year and then hopefully a couple of good ones before that May fourth cutoff this year, um I should be you know in a position to be on the team, and uh, it's definitely on my calendar, you know, as a target right now. so
0: yeah. and do you feel as a as a professional that from the beginning, you wanted to get behind the PTO the professional triathletes organization and and actually be part of what it's trying to achieve
1: I really did and I mean I along with a few other people you know I don't remember the year I want to say it was 2015 maybe because it's obviously been something that we've talked about for a long time and people have heard you know kind of rumors about this race happening or this union forming or whatever you wanna call it, but I was actually one of the people that signed up for and committed money to uh, the original professional triathlon union. I think that was, again, back in 2015. And so it's always been on my radar. It's always been something that I've been really you know, keen to be involved in, and um, a friend of mine, Tim O'Donnell, has been part of you know, spearheading this effort with some of the other professionals, Rachel Joyce and a few others. And we've been in, you know, constant contact and communication about it. And uh, he's always been encouraging me to stay involved. And, you know, this was finally the moment where the pieces came together. And not only did we have the financial backing, but also just sort of the general commitment, you know, across the board, which I think historically it's been difficult to bring everyone together. And uh, I think there's a variety of reasons for that. But we finally have, you know, what I think is a pretty cohesive group. And uh, I'm excited about what the future holds.
0: And Ben, why, why do you think that it is so important to get behind it and, and be involved in it? Like, why, why did you put your money in it at the beginning?
1: Well, because I want to I see our sport improve. I think there's plenty of room for it. And I'm not saying that everything that we're going to do is going to be perfect, you know, and that, that our vision is necessarily always the best and the right one. Um, But I think that we are an important voice in the sport, and we're an important component of it for, you know, the people that are involved in the industry, whether it's the sponsors of the events or the organizers like Ironman Challenge um, and other companies, Xterra, whoever else, ITU. Um, But I also just, you know, at my core, I want to have a legacy that goes beyond just what my race results were and the relationships that I had with these companies. I would like to see the up-and-coming pros have more opportunity as well, and you know I think this has the potential to do that. And I think it will take time. I think it's not something that people should expect will you know rocket into outer space just overnight. Um, But I do think I I do think that it has really good potential, and you know I think especially after meeting. Uh, Mike Moritz in in San Francisco recently. Mm-hmm. It really drove it home for me just how committed he is to a long term vision. And you know, he really does have our back for, you know, I, I would say, I'm guessing on this. We didn't talk about actual numbers, but I would say like a like a 10 year commitment. You know, I mean, I think he really really looks at this. Yeah, I think he really looks at this as like something that probably will take some time, um, but he's willing to invest and be on board to see that potential return. And also just to support us, because I think he feels like we're um, undervalued and under supported in our industry.
0: Some athletes have voiced their discontent at at not being involved this year or perhaps not being selected because they're not up in the rankings. What would you say to them?
1: Well, I mean, I think the first thing I would say is that, yeah, I mean, it's... uh, it's unfortunate that they weren't contacted. However, I think that, again, we have to look at this from a realistic standpoint. There was, you know, there were time constraints and there were issues with um, contacting. I mean, I remember a figure, if, and this could be wrong, so if you know the number, please correct me, but yes. I remember seeing a number, and this was years ago, about the number of professional athletes worldwide, and I want to say that it was 1,200. And so when you start thinking about how difficult it is to get, 1200 people first of all to contact everyone secondly to organize and communicate you know um, coherently to that many people it's just too too big of a project and so um, I think the initial effort was just about focusing on the people that were currently top ranked and I do understand again I think that was you know not perfect potentially that some of these people weren't contacted but to me I also feel like there's a component of sour grapes going on where you know it's like you guys are focused so small right now. Like this is so much bigger, you know, than you not getting contacted to be part of the Collins Cup for the first race. Which, by the way, you still have a plenty of opportunity to be a part of it. You know, I mean, they can still sign up to be part of the the organization, and they still have plenty of time to earn points to qualify to be on these teams. So, um, yeah, to me, that argument doesn't really hold water, and it also sort of undermines the bigger picture, right? Like, this is one event. And it's not by any means the only thing we're doing. I think people are having a tendency to focus all of their energy on the Collins Cup, which is going to be amazing. And I think you know we have to execute and get that right. I think it's important to do that. Um, but again, I think there's a lot more to this, and it will take time. And we need people to be on board and committed to you know the longer term vision. But um sometimes in our in our society in our world, people are programmed for instant gratification, and it's hard to see past the the instant moment you know, so I do understand their their consternation.
0: I was wondering about the Bahrain thirteen team, Ben you were on it from the start, and then you weren't on it um I want to say it from twenty nineteen was that like a mutual decision, or was that your decision?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was just kind of a, a mutual thing where, you know, I think, um, yeah, just differences, you know, in vision, basically, um, for for the direction I was headed in my career and, and for the way the team was headed. I mean, they obviously have put a lot of emphasis on uh, the Olympics, right? I mean, between uh, their challenged athlete, Lauren Parker, um, you know, and then also they have a few more ITU athletes on their roster, too. So, yeah, there was just a shift. Uh towards that and you know I mean I basically was like I understand uh you know I also came off of one of my (laughs) worst seasons ever so uh wasn't a big surprise but uh yeah I mean I think we you know we just felt like we'd had four successful years of the team and it was time to to do something different so yeah no bad blood
0: there are people who who comment on the values of the team and the links with Bahrain like did it ever bother you You know, I
1: did spend time, um, you know, sort of doing my own investigation. And yeah, I mean, there were certainly things that that were concerning to me at times. Overall, I sort of adopted the mindset that, uh, that these people were willing to support us in our sporting goals and also in the effort to affect positive change. And I was willing to be part of that, you know, and to put my energy towards that. And to me, I understand people's argument that you know, we were potentially aligning ourselves with people that were that had questionable behaviors, you know, in whatever realm. But I also sort of like asked myself the hard questions about if that could be something that you could kind of uncover anywhere you look. And, you know, as an American citizen, I know, I know my country's history with, uh, you know, for CIA, foreign intervention in Central America in the 70s, for example. Um, There's a lot of stuff that goes on that I'm not proud of um, as an American athlete. And of course, I'm not supported directly from any sort of governing body or, you know, any sort of, I guess, official American entity. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I just, uh, you know, I think there's problems everywhere in the world. And I think that you can focus on problems or you can focus on solutions. And I actually felt like uh, the team was focused on on creating solutions and, and bettering, Uh, the lives you know of people in that country so I was proud to be part of that effort
0: and another thing which I know that you've um, done recently which is along the lines of um, Jan Fredino and Sebi Keenley is to publish the drug testing that you were subjected to last year was it four in and three out of competition
1: that sounds right yeah I mean I know I just published it and I should know but uh, yeah, that sounds sounds about right. So, um, yeah, and I was happy to do that. You know, I I've, I've always been uh, transparent about that stuff if people ask. And mm. I mean, this is a little bit more public, but um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what goes on on the testing front. And I will say this, you know, part of our um, efforts as the organization as a PTO, I really think we have to prioritize protecting um, what I consider to be a unique component of our sport, which is that we're not tarnished. Um, in the same way as something like cycling, uh, with that same, you know, uh, doping history, I guess. I mean, there's definitely been cases. I believe there are still people that probably cheat in our sport. Um, but I think that overall we have a a relatively and actually pretty clean sport. I mean, I feel confident saying that. Um, so that's one of our biggest efforts I think as an organization to protect that and to ensure in whatever ways we can, um, that we, that we keep that as a cornerstone of our sport. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I will say (laughs) the one piece about this that I didn't really love, and I actually had a a small exchange with Jan about this, um, was that the guy who sort of, I think was an impetus for this was, was Uli Flume, if I'm saying his name correctly. Mm. And he, I, I've seen his sort of Uh, Twitter tirades over the years, and I feel like you know he's gone as far as, for example, I I saw something where he, without saying it, essentially accused T.O. of doping, um, you know, with his second second place performance in Kona this past year, um, because he couldn't find test results for him or you know testing information online. And the funny part about that is that he obviously, as much as he's invested in all of this. And, and claims to be this you know, crusader for clean sport, um, he clearly doesn't actually understand very much about how this works because Tio was tested multiple times last year. It's just that the, the protocol for that and the companies that do this have shifted, um, and so that's not really publicly available anymore. As, as before, it was something where you know he was um, tested by USADA, that was something you could pull up online, and now it's these tests are done through Ironman, essentially through Claridium. And so that's not something that somebody can just pull up anymore. But my point being that I feel like it lended credibility maybe to some of his statements, which I didn't really love. Um, But overall, again, you know, I have nothing to hide and I'm happy to be part of um, publishing those results if it helps move our sport towards uh, more transparency and protecting that, you know, clean sport that I think we have right now.
0: Would you like to see everyone's results?
1: You know, more so than that, I would say I would want to know about therapeutic use exemptions. And I know there's a whole gray area there when it comes to like HIPAA law and everything else. But to be perfectly honest with you, that's one thing that I feel like I really am not comfortable with. I can, you know, I have no therapeutic use exemptions, nothing um, on that front, never have. And I feel like there's probably, if I had to guess, several athletes out there that have them. And again, I am not saying that I'm a doctor and that I know, you know, um, anything about these conditions that people have or whatever else. But I also recognize that sometimes in life, for example, if you want to be a fighter pilot in, you know, the U.S. uh, Army or, or, you know, uh, Air Force, you have to have certain vision requirements, right? And so if you just don't, if you don't have those, you can't be a pilot. That's just that simple. So in my opinion, if your body has some sort of disability or some sort of illness you know, that um, can't be overcome without some sort of heavy medication that might also have a, a side benefit of being performance enhancing, then I think it's one of those things where maybe you just can't be a professional triathlete. And I know that sounds harsh, but at the same time, um, I think we've seen in the past, especially with the cycling, mm-hmm. uh, that people abuse those therapeutic use exemptions. So I think it would actually hold people a lot more accountable and it would make them, you know, uh, less likely to abuse those if they had to publish that information. So, um, yeah, of course, I would love to see everybody's results. I think it would it would create a clearer picture of of how much testing is done, and um, you know, and, and maybe make that a little bit more of a priority. But again, more more importantly to me is sort of honing in on the on the TUEs that may or may not be be abused by athletes out there.
0: Yeah, it's the, um, a lot of a lot of athletes have asthma. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. surprising <laughs> number. I mean, it's really crazy. <laughs>
1: They're so healthy, but wait a minute. Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah.
0: The Nike Next Percent, um, you all them in Kona. Obviously, they are, you know, not just you, a number of other athletes. World Athletics are currently planning to roll out some new running shoe guidelines. Do you care if they were to almost be banned?
1: Well, I mean, I I sort of have two, I guess, points here. And um, yeah, I I was turned on to sort of a, a slow twitch conversation that happened where it actually, you know, there was a thread where somebody had brought up like, my run performances this year. And then um, you know, of course the, the next thing somebody wants, the, the original post was something about recognizing that I, you know, basically turned myself into like a high level runner, um, over the course of my career. And then of course people weighed in and immediately attributed a lot of it to like the Nike shoes, which, um, you know, so I, I was sort of like, well, first of all, when I ran 2:39 in South Africa early in the year, I, I wore basically what Nike considers a trainer is a zoom Pegasus turbo, um, which is not the next percent. So I know I'm capable of running fast marathons with or without that shoe. Um, do I believe it, it's performance enhancing? Yes, I do think it helps. I think it's a shoe that I absolutely believe in, and I notice um, that, I, that I actually, you know, I think it does in- increase my, my performance. But the reason why, I mean, I, I think mainly it's the foam, actually. Um, I think the foam has really good energy return, and I also think that one thing that it does And this came from a conversation that I had with with Cam Wirth way back in 2017 in South Africa. We were chatting before the race a little bit, and he was talking about the 4% or whatever it was back then. Maybe it was was 17 or 18, but regardless, you know, he was talking about it a little bit, and he said, you know, people don't realize this, but the original reason they developed the 4% shoe was so that Kipchoge could train more. You know, basically they built the shoe so that his body wouldn't get beat up as much. And that's one thing I really noticed that like when I do a marathon in them or I do a long training run in them, a tempo run, yep. I just pull up better the next day. And so, yeah, I do think that they have a benefit. And I think, you know, if you if you follow um, and there's a New York Times article where they sort of, you know, basically they, I don't know, linked up with Strava and Strava was able to sort of extrapolate all this data based on what people had put in for you know the shoes that they were using for their marathons and say pretty concretely that yes in fact um, it does enhance people's performance by about 4% and uh, you know their times increased or you know got faster by about 4% so I do think there's something real there I mean I, I guess you know if the rules change and the shoe goes away um, you know I will adapt like, like I always have and you know, I'll change my plan and use something else. So, um, and I know I'm perfectly capable of running fast in other shoes. So, yeah, it's, we'll it's,
0: see. It's a bit like the um, Speedo laser swimsuit in the 2008 Olympics. That if everyone's got it, then it's almost like that level playing field again, isn't it? And it's just, well, everyone will be faster. Um, right. And and then if they get rid of, you know, if they were to ban it, well, that's fine. Everyone will be a couple of minutes slower again
1: right yeah but uh, you know as long and again I, I you know there's a there's so many <laughs> so many little like different offshoots and avenues to go down on this that it's like uh you know it can be i don't know a little bit overwhelming i think cuz i mean you you know you talk about it and you're like i know that you know probably a lot of sponsored athletes i mean i've heard a lot of stories or, about people trying to modify shoes to look like other ones and, you know because they want to use these cuz they believe that they're faster too um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a funny situation, but also like innovation is just part of, of everything. And, yeah. and I think it's really critical. And I mean, you look at our sport and, you know, just the evolution of wheels and bikes over time. And, you know, I don't think that we can, you know, I don't think, I think we need to be careful about putting the kibosh on all of that because it really moves everyone forward. I mean, the running industry was sitting, you know, pretty stagnant for a while, um, until Nike basically broke through with a game-changing product and now everyone's scrambling to be like, okay, we've got to up our game and innovate and change um, and move with, you know along with this if we wanna stay relevant. And I think that's ultimately good for everyone.
0: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it's interesting. Really, really interesting. Uh, ben, I'm gonna finish with a few quick questions then we'll wrap it up. I was wondering, are there any lessons that you have learned twice?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean definitely. Uh, you know, I, I relearned um, a good lesson this year. I was starting out my um, you know my training, my structured training at the beginning of January, and I got sort of uh, not roped into. I agreed to run uh, a running race, part of a relay running race with some local friends here. And of course, you know, I hadn't been doing a lot of training, I mean some really light, you know, uh, running and riding but but not a lot of training in, in in december and i kind of off the couch decided to do like a seven and a half mile segment for these guys on a relay we were already 20 minutes ahead, and i ran like all out for seven and a half miles you know like 540 pace and <laughs> totally strained my hamstring and you know that set me back a little bit uh straight off the bat this year which i mean i'm 36 and i've been doing this for a long time and <laughs> That's obviously pretty stupid. Like, I knew that wasn't a good idea. So, yeah, uh, in case people out there are considering jumping into a race and running as hard as they possibly can, you know, uh, at the very beginning of their training cycle, uh, that's a lesson that I just relearned that I can tell you don't do that. Uh, Yeah. And for sure, also, um, you know, throughout my career, there's been a couple moments where I think just and this is sort of a general rule, that that can be a lot of different categories, but making changes really close to a race. I, there's something about that that just is so universal, um, whether you're a professional or, you know, amateur, but people love to fiddle with their their seat. Um, I remember a great story, Sebastian Keenley and I are friends, and <clears throat> I remember a story where he was doing some kind of wrenching on his bike, you know, right before a race, and like, totally screwed something up and it was like a panic and tina's wife was like running around trying to find somebody to help fix this and like get a new part um you know and it's like what are we doing like the bike was working fine there was no reason to try to change this thing you know or you get inspired to be like i don't know changing your nutrition right before a race even though you've done a bunch of Ironmans off of this other stuff that you know works for you um you know it's just it's a funny thing that we all do but At the same time, I understand part of where it comes from. I mean, some of it's nerves, but also I think it is. It's about, you know, experimentation because without experimentation, you can't move forward, too. I mean, if you really want to improve, you have to try some new things, too. So, um, but maybe not, you know, big, big changes right before a race.
0: What did you learn most about yourself during the Cape Epic mountain bike ride that you did? I shouldn't say ride. Right. That makes it sound really <laughs> like a walk in the park. Yeah. But you know what I mean. <laughs> what it was you...
1: probably one of the more brutal sporting yeah. experiences that I've ever been through. And, you know, it was uh, it was so exhausting. I mean, I was a shell of a human um, at the end of that. And I think what I realized was that, uh, or, you know, I think the lesson that I most took away from that probably was that the level of suffering that I thought was my maximum, was absolutely not at all. And, uh, and that was really helpful, you know, it was good to rewrite that. And that's something I carry with me all the time now, where um, in the moments when things are really hard, I go back to that a lot, and I tell myself like, yeah, this is hard, yeah, I'm suffering, but I know I can do more, you know? And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty eye-opening, you know? I mean, that was a, it was a big step forward that way, in terms of just like little sleep, you know, having a a nasty stomach bug and then just hammering on the bike every day. I mean, there was so much physical and also mental stress that (laughs) I just, you know, uh, yeah, I achieved a a brand new level. It was pretty, pretty crazy.
0: You wrote a blog at the end of the year. And uh, at the end of it, you said, listen to yourself. You'll be surprised what you might hear. I was wondering, what are you hearing at the moment? Apart from my... Bloody voice
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm hearing the voices in my head um, no I, I you know right now I'm actually this goes back to another question you just asked about lessons you have to relearn um, what I'm hearing is patience you know I think that this time of year it's really easy to get kind of overwhelmed and feel like, oh, I'm out of shape and like I'll never be at that level again. And you know, it's it's challenging. I mean, I just came off one of my best seasons ever, for sure. Some of my best Ironman performances at the end of the year in both Kona and also in Florida. And you know, you question yourself a little bit. Like I said, you you have some self doubt and you sort of ask yourself, like, can I? You know, how am I going to get back to Uh, That level again, and to me the answer is patience and consistency and that's sort of a lesson that I'm relearning right now where you know I I, again, I I forced sort of a setback on myself with this hamstring strain and then um, you know I got a a nasty uh, respiratory bug for about a week uh, you know about a week ago and You know it just kind of like fits and starts to the year right and like last year was a little bit more smooth Um, Even though I was coming off of injury. I just settled into the training a lot more quickly um, but you know the, the I guess the lesson is that like this is in your body already you know and it's in your mind too and you know it just takes every year is different um, but if you're patient and you're consistent about the work you know it will definitely come out and you'll definitely achieve uh, those results again so yeah I'm just trying to remind myself to you know enjoy the days with my family right now and and be patient.
0: What three things And my final question, Ben, thank God, he says, is (laughs) what three things would you most like to weld?
1: Well, I have a master spa that I swim in in my backyard and we have a tree that's kind of like a, I call it a trash tree. Um, They're the mesquite trees and it doesn't matter what season it is, they're always shedding some kind of, you know, crap off the tree and it drops into my pool when it's open, you know, and I'm always cleaning the filters and so... For sure, I want to weld um, some kind of shade structure for that that also protects it from the uh, the tree debris. Um, and then I want to do sort of a fence topper for the front of our house. Uh, we have like a basically like a cinder block wall, you know, that's kind of a a, a privacy fence, and I want to uh, weld like a feature on the top of that. Um, and then finally, I kind of want to just do some artistic stuff. I have some like bike chain and bike parts and stuff, and I want to do Uh, you know a few different things out of that that are just going to end up being gifts for people Uh, maybe some like keychain elements or something like that I was thinking about taking my Kona chain um, and welding up a few things for like sponsors and saying like thanks you know so that might be the next project
0: I like it a bit different isn't
1: it yeah it's good it's a good uh, you know mental uh, release for me to kind of yeah put myself in a little bit different mindset and uh, yeah put my energy somewhere else
0: expert triathlete expert welder and expert interviewee ben hoffman thank you so much
1: oh thank you for having me on the show yeah it's great to be here thanks for listening to the inside tri show if you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything then reach out to helen on instagram or twitter at inside tri show and over to you
0: who knew mixing triathlon and welding of all things absolutely love it and it shows that we all need a different Hobby in our lives, other than living in Lycra and that swim bike run. So, if you have enjoyed this week's interview, then let Ben know, let me know. You can find the links to both in the show notes at helenmurray.net forward slash inside forward slash Ben Hoffman. So, links to his Instagram and social media and website and all that kind of stuff are in there. You have been listening to the Inside Tri Show with Sports Tours International who don't forget are offering 10% off their Ironman Lanzarote packages with the code INSIDE1 if you book by the 29th of February 2020. Terms and conditions do apply, so do check out the link in the show notes. we have also been brought to you by Orion Connect, a unique service which helps athletes and people in pain to find the right healthcare practitioner for them quickly, efficiently and affordably. You can find all the information at Orion. O R Y O N dot co dot u k forward slash connect.
1: Coming up next time, we've got the most amazing story from someone with the most amazing name, Els Visser. And when I saw that island, for me, it was like oh, this is this island is my only chance to survive this accident because I can wait there on the ocean, but I didn't see any boats the days before. Nobody knows that we are here. So if I want to give it a try, then, yeah, I really have to go
0: to swim to this island. Oh, it's a great story from Elsvisa, so you'll have that to look forward to next week. In the meantime, don't forget, you can get a discount at checkout at 33fuel.com using the code INSIDETRY33 for a whole load of natural and yummy sports nutritional products. Thank you so much again for listening, and thank you for all of your comments on social media or wherever you've messaged me or connected with me I genuinely really do appreciate it and there's still so much love out there for the Luke Grenfell Shaw interview so Luke I think I saw that you were last leaving Dover so good luck on the next leg of your tandem ride to Beijing you're doing amazing stuff if you're free on March the 20th then do come along to the move charity ball again there'll be links in the show notes but i know i'm going to be there and lucy gossage is definitely going to be there it's a massive fundraising evening in leicester so it's the move charity ball with special guest steve cram if you are into that kind of thing get involved and raise a whole load of money for charity so until next week keep it fun (laughs) avoid the storms and we will speak then